Hi, and welcome back to the Why oh Mayo podcast. This is Janine Steen, your host, hoping to answer your questions about the who, what, where, when, why, and how when it comes to myofunctional therapy. Disclaimer. All content and details, as well as education shared on the podcast, are the opinions of the speaker and for informational purposes only. Please consult with a certified medical professional regarding any questions or concerns, as this podcast should not serve as a diagnosis or replace the information that you have received from a healthcare provider. During today's podcast, I wanted to focus on the benefits of an interdisciplinary team and an interdisciplinary approach. I am sharing an interview that we conducted on another one of our series called Talk the Talk. On Talk the Talk, we speak to many different professionals that are all part of that interdisciplinary team and that play an integral role in our patient success. This is not limited to medical or dental providers, but also includes cranial sacral therapists, dental hygienists, and many more. We all have a role. In this episode, we speak to two pediatric dentists that refer to our facility for our trademarked SPOT myofunctional therapy program and have witnessed the benefits of our program firsthand. These dentists are proponents of a myofunctional therapy approach and its role in dentistry and actually have their own dental hygienist trained in myofunctional therapy on staff. We all have our place in treatment. Even if we can't treat everything, we then rely on the many dental and medical professionals, as well as an array of other professionals, including dental hygienists, for their opinion and differential diagnosis, just like they will rely on us as speech pathologists and myofunctional therapists in a similar way. I am a huge proponent of education, staying current with the most up-to-date research and seeking out opportunities to learn from all other professionals. I like to learn their beliefs, their opinions and approaches, especially when it comes to oral myofunctional disorders. In addition, I attempt to do my part by offering free lectures and in-services to any and all members involved in the field of myofunctional therapy, while also taking that time to explain how these individuals can best meet the needs of their own myo patients by employing their own resources. It is noteworthy to mention that every patient is unique and therefore requires a differential diagnosis to determine what type of intervention is necessary to best meet their needs. All patients with oral myofunctional disorders present differently and therefore require a different treatment approach. All patients with a tongue thrust are not always candidates for myofunctional therapy at that time. As part of our evaluation, it is necessary to ascertain why the patient is presenting in a certain way and devise a treatment plan that will best meet their needs. As an SLP, it is necessary for us to provide a comprehensive evaluation in order to make the best differential diagnosis. This may include ruling out motor planning deficits, texture and consistency aversions, auditory processing or fine motor issues, and any other underlying reasons for the deficits that they are presented with that may also not be related to a tongue thrust. 
I think we can all agree that the needs of our patients is always the priority and that our patients should seek out the provider or providers that best meet their needs. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode of Talk the Talk. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we are with Dr. Mark Adelberg and Dr. Adam Postel, who are both known as Dr. Mark and Dr. Adam in their office. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We just want to pick your brain a little bit about what it is like to be a pediatric dentist and some of the concerns or obstacles you find when you're dealing with patients. Um, So our first question for you is, when is the first time a parent should bring a child into the office for their first dental appointment? Well, first of all, thank you for having us. It's a, it's a privilege and a pleasure to, to be on your uh, your webcam Zoom meetings, right? Thank you, thank right. you. So this is not really a question that we would say. It's our academy. The Academy of Pediatric Dentistry recommends the first visit takes place at either one years old or six months after the first tooth. Okay. But uh, I know eventually we'll start talking about growth and development. And so some might argue that even those dates are too late because there could already been some damage uh, not done or, or some corrections that could have been made in that growth. But that right now, the guidelines are at one years old or six months after the first tooth, whichever occurs first. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Perfect. Um, and what about toothbrushes? So at what age would you recommend that we, you know, go to a mechanical toothbrush or start using fluoride toothpaste? Are there recommendations on that? Yeah. So, um, we should start brushing the teeth with a toothbrush as soon as the first tooth comes in. Um, In terms of fluoride toothpaste and or toothpaste in general, same thing. As soon as the teeth come in, we should be using toothpaste. It really depends on something that we call a caries risk assessment, which is also published by our American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. For instance, for a family or child that is high risk, Even at a young age, fluoride toothpaste in the proper amount is okay. But generally the rule of thumb until you have had a caries risk assessment is a non-fluoridated toothpaste until the age of three and just a pea-sized amount. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that include the infident for those individuals? Would you consider the infident an actual toothbrush or does it need to be an actual toothbrush? Yeah. It either is fine. Uh, we just don't want the, uh, you know, the washcloth, uh, the washcloth or finger by itself approach. Got it. Got it. We, well, I'm sure you see that a lot and we do as well. And then um, you would ask like, you know, regular toothbrush versus mechanical and types of toothpaste. I mean, really at the end of the day, you also have to worry about compliance. So, you know, if your child wants to brush with Barbie toothpaste or Buzz Lightyear toothpaste, and it's going to make them brush more we're hundred percent for it. You know, so we have some families that are a family of four and they all have four different toothpastes. Yes. One likes gel, one likes paste, one likes baking soda, one likes strawberry flavored, whatever it takes. Got it. Okay. Um, we find a lot of patients have limited dental insurance. What types of things do you offer in order to manage some of those expenses? So uh, we do have uh, a myriad of options. Uh, more recently, uh, we've established a membership plan which is great. Uh, It includes things like uh, cleanings and checkups and discount on uh, a whole bunch of work, including orthodontics and even a uh, free sleep breathing um, consultation and evaluation. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, we we recognize the fact that there are a lot of people out there who don't have insurance or have poor insurance, or perhaps they've even, 
you know, lost their job, et cetera, during, you know, the pandemic. So our, our new membership plan, AMD Prime, um, allows you to pay for your checkups uh, every month as opposed to, you know, one big swoop. And it gives you uh, significant discounts off of treatment to still allow your child to get the best care possible. That's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's one of the questions parents always are concerned about and asking, especially when it comes to follow through. Um, okay, or so we are we're a customer service oriented practice, as we know yours is, because we share many mutual patients. And so, you know, we always encourage people to call and our, our receptionist, they'll, they'll call the insurance company and find out, you know, almost, you know, as down to the penny as they can, what the visit would cost, because we want to reduce the surprise for both us and, and the patient. Absolutely. And probably like you guys as well. There are plenty of insurance companies that we not we may not be in network with. However, they have wonderful out of network benefits and still can enjoy almost basically the same exact care. You know, they they may very well have all their preventive care exams, cleanings, fluoride, sealants, X-rays covered at 100. Okay. percent So they don't have to find that in network practice that maybe is in Brooklyn and here they live out in Stony Brook and they right. go, oh, you know, we want to come to you. Got it. Great. Um, as far as orthodontic consultations go, um, at what age are you usually starting to get your patients in those orthodontic consultations? Is it age? Is it more about what their mouth is looking like and, you know, their teeth and all of that? Uh, so now we're going to go down a rabbit hole. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a few years ago, I went to a symposium that was sponsored by the Academy of Pediatrics and the uh, Academy of Orthodontics. And, and the general summary there was when a child's old enough to sit for records is probably when they should first start seeing uh, the orthodontist. Okay. But as pediatric dentists, we clearly see these children well before most orthodontists would ever consider seeing them. And so we're already looking at patients from a very early age, determining, you know, is there something we can do to change their facial structure? So a lot of people think it's just a matter of, are my teeth going to be straight? Which of course, from a cosmetic perspective is important. But really, the foundation of where those teeth sit, the bone, that's really the most important component. If you can get the bone in the right spot, then the teeth will soon follow. I mean, there are um, studies going on right now out in California where they're actually doing Invisalign on two and three-year-olds because they realize the detriment that these patients have put themselves in. And they're really falling behind the proverbial eight ball. So now it's like, can we get your mouth in a better position? Again, nobody's going to say, let's straighten a two and three-year-old's teeth. It's let's put that two and three-year-old's bone back in the right position because Invisalign locks into your mouth. You can get that done sooner. And that starts morphing into then are there appliances that we can help change, you know, the way you function, the way you breathe, uh, maybe assist you guys with the way they're swallowing mm -hmm. because all of these functions will significantly change the way your face is going to develop. So, and then, and honestly, when people ask about orthodontics, again, orthodontics encompasses so many different things. So, you know, the orthodontic process is probably a better question. When should the orthodontic process start? And so when the evaluation start, you know, is it a palate expander? Is it a, a, a growth and development device? Is it, it is an airway breathing device? Is it, hey, we're just going to move a few baby teeth out of the way to facilitate the growth of adult teeth, even though we have no plans in putting you into any sort of braces, brackets, wires, et cetera, that you guys might remember. But there has to be a paradigm shift now amongst parents because most of us, and uh, I know I'm a little older than you guys, but most of us would remember that our friends started braces in the sixth or seventh grade and we're not <laughs> yeah. going to start braces until all of our permanent teeth have started to come in or the other side, our baby teeth falling out. 
Yeah. And that's a very, very old school way of looking at things now. So we really try to push early intervention because early intervention only works best when it's done early. early. That's the whole portion of <laughs> yeah. <early> intervention. <laughs> and much like, you know, when we were growing up, we never heard of a child going in first and second grade to get, you know, uh, reading or math help or even speech in your guys' world. And now it's commonplace. Kids are being pulled out of school all the time for a myriad of things. And we're basically saying, we're going to pull you out of your school to get, you know, some, some growth and development done. And, uh, and that's the way we look at, you know, orthodontics as a whole. Yeah, one of the nice things uh, about our practice, um, and there are many practices like us where we have an orthodontist in the office, you know, with us um, quite frequently. And uh, so it's pretty easy to get the orthodontist to swing on by when the child's in for a dental checkup and say, hey, what do you think? But like Dr. Mark said, I always, you know, caution parents, you know, just because they're going for an orthodontic evaluation does not mean they're getting braces or Invisalign, right? We want to all work together to get the child to grow and develop uh, as well as they can and, and really get to their fullest potential uh, at the right time. In the orthodontics world, there are certain things uh, that you can do at any age, but there are certain things that you can't. And there are certain things that happen easier from an earlier age. So we want to be cognizant of that. And, and timing is really key there. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, is there any correlation between getting teeth early and losing your teeth? There could be. Okay. Most people who get their teeth early, more often than not, have more space in their mouth. Okay. So it's easier for the teeth to grow in. Okay. And then subsequently, it'll be easier for the permanent teeth to move into the right position. But it doesn't have to be that way. But but there is a strong correlation where, on the opposite side, when a mother will say to us, you know, little Johnny's seven years old. He hasn't really lost any of his teeth. Most of his friends are losing teeth. And we'll say, well, can you, now this patient, as we said, should have come in at one years old, but they didn't. So now we're seeing them for the first time at three. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, are we, for, we saw that first time at three. So we don't have any record of when their first tooth really came in. And so we'll say, well, let's go back in time. At his first birthday party, do you remember if he had any teeth? We said, oh, God, no, he didn't have any teeth at that time. And we were wondering back then. So you get your teeth late. They usually fall late. You get your teeth early. They usually fall out early. But that doesn't have to be the rule. But it seems to be, uh, a, yes, a correlation, I would say, is a, is a correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good to know. Um, so obviously we have a lot of patients with special needs, um, and I know that you guys see also will see patients with special needs. So what does a dental visit look like for, or what can a parent expect when their child with special needs is coming in for their first dental visit? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's definitely no cookie cutter approach, uh, and it's important for people to realize that as pediatric dentists, um, you know, we went to two years of specialty training after dental school um, to learn about treating children, but also under our scope is treating children with special needs. So this is very much in our, in our uh, wheelhouse and we do this every day. Um, you know, it really starts from the first time the patient comes into the office. So, you know, you know that you've been in our offices and, and they're, they're themed like amusement parks, as we like to say. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, you know, the child doesn't, um, you know, associate it with you know, going to the pediatrician and getting blood work done or, or going for a strep test or anything like that. Um, and uh, we really feel each child out. So some children are better served in a private room. Some children are better served in an open room where they can see other children, you know, feeling comfortable getting their teeth cleaned or their teeth worked on. So we have both options. There, there's a lot of desensitization. I mean, for 
severely special needs children. We have some patients that come to the office multiple times and maybe the first time they'll take a ride on the chair or the second time, you know, we'll put the mirror in their mouth. Sometimes we'll even give the parents some of the tools that are safe for them to bring home to say, you know, hey, you know, you can give this to, you know, Johnny or Mary and you can play around with this at home and you can even bring it here so they feel like they're bringing their own tools back to the office. Um, those are just a few things that we do uh, but again, this is uh, not a once in a blue moon uh, thing for us. This is an everyday, um, you know, uh, occurrence. And uh, we don't have a cookie cutter approach because each child is different in their special needs. Yeah, you know, and I would add to that as well. I mean, you guys, when you say special needs, the, the word really there is special. So each child is going to be special, you know, and, and, and special needs can encompass so many different things. Is it autism? Is it Down syndrome? Is it diabetes? Is it... A, a rare syndrome that, you know, it wasn't one of the ones that showed up frequently on our board exams. And so, yes. <laughs> you know, so we, we, you know, we go in, we research, we find that if there's going to be a, you know, a dental anomaly associated with that, et cetera. And, you know, even two people who have the same diagnosis can be very different. You know, you can have, uh, you know, a child who's autistic, who's nonverbal and one, you know, who, you know, is high functioning and, and their approaches may be very different. And the reality is with children, you teach one, you know, you treat one child at 10 o'clock in the morning, that same child next week at four o'clock in the afternoon. And they can be very different on those two different days. So true. So, yep. So true. Absolutely. We see that often too, with the time, time of day that they're yeah. being worked on mm -hmm. or getting, getting therapy. Uh, all right. So as a dentist, you know, this is in our wheelhouse, our wheelhouse, how do you rule in or rule out a tongue thrust? <laughs> Well, Adam, you're uh, you're one of the guys who does our tongue releases. So. Yes, let's hear it, Doctor Adam. So, I mean, there's many, <laughs> there's many things that we can look for, uh, look at. You know, sometimes, honestly, it's a uh, it's a referral within uh, our house by the uh, orthodontist, and uh, we can see some flaring of the front teeth. So then we look to see if there are certain signs and symptoms. Um, and, uh, you know, we have the patient speak to us or we just evaluate them as they're sitting there because a lot of times as they're, you know, swallowing the toothpaste, they're, they, you know, they're pushing their tongue forward or as they're speaking, they're pushing their tongue forward or whether they're just sitting there, they're pushing their tongue forward. But a lot of times it's what we call the architecture of the teeth that give us as the dentist the first telltale sign. And then, of course, you know, we will refer them over to you and we'll say, you know, can you please confirm this? And, you know, can we possibly do some myofunctional therapy, you know, in order to um, help to alleviate the habit? Because from an orthodontic standpoint, we always say, you know, the braces can put anything anywhere. But if you take the braces off and you don't, you know, eliminate the tongue thrust, you're just going to be back in the same position you were, which is, you know, flared teeth. So those are some of the easier signs. I'm sure you can give us 150 more difficult signs that we can, you know, improve on, uh, on, um, you know, identifying as well. What are the parents typically like when you're explaining this to them? Do you feel that they look at you like you have 10 heads or do they <laughs> seem like, okay, that makes sense. And that's something we want to pursue or want to continue to consider. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's a great question. And, you know, as speech therapists and as pediatric dentists or any really profession in general, you know, we're always learning and there's always new research coming out and we're always going to courses. And I think that's certain things that set your group and our group, uh, you know, apart from others. We've seen you on the lecture circuit. You've seen us on the lecture circuit and we're always trying to identify, you know, new things to help our patients. So where we'll get the, you know, hmm, I'm not, you know, I, it's interesting that you bring that up is for a patient who's been coming here for six, seven, eight years, and we haven't said something to them in the past, but now we're saying something, you know, at this visit, 
And that's because honestly, you know, we're continuing to learn and we're continuing to see so many things uh, that really can help our patients that we're interested in doing to help them. Um, that's kind of when we get the, well, this is interesting that you bring this up, but I think for the most part, a lot of parents, you know, with, with breathing and airway and myofunctional therapy and tongue, the cool thing is, is it connects a lot of dots for them. So we'll say, hmm, this is why I asked this question, or does your child also do this? Or do they also have that? Or, you know, they've been a picky eater. You know, I understand you might've thought it was behavioral, but actually when I look in their mouth and I see their tongue is tethered to the floor of their mouth, they can't, you know, eat the hot dog with the bun properly. Right. Uh, and so I think that a lot of parents are thankful, but it does take a little bit of explaining. Um, and, and then we always want to, uh, you know, uh, validate our concern. And that's why we'll work with a myofunctional therapist, a speech pathologist, a lot of the times, because this is a multidisciplinary team approach, even on our breathing side, you know, it's yes. not just us. It's, you know, sometimes the ENT, sometimes the pediatrician, sometimes the sleep medicine doctor, myofunctional therapy, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. I think that's the best approach from an, it's an interdisciplinary approach. That's the best way to put it. And I think as parents, they definitely take your opinion and value your opinion as the dentist. Um, significantly, they really put a lot of weight into what you guys have to say. Um, so it's wonderful that they are getting that education from you and not just once they get to us and now the education's coming from us. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's great too that we're getting, especially from you guys, getting a lot younger too. So it's nice to get that patient from the pediatric dentist, even more so than the orthodontist, because we have more time and just like that early intervention that we were discussing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit about the tethered oral tissues. So if we can go into that a little, what um, is your role as pediatric dentist in identifying it, assessing for remediating those tethered oral oral tissues within the mouth? I'm going to still defer to Dr. Adam. Oh, Dr. Adam, you're on the hot seat. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you know, first of all, it's interesting. In, In our practice, you know, we've been looking at this you know, way before, you know, four or five years ago was brought up at the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, because for 15 years, we've been using lasers in our practice, um, you know, to provide no shot laser dentistry for a lot of children and and children. And we've done, um, you know, many maxillary phrenectomies and also some lower lingual, that's the tongue tie phrenectomies. Um, Over the past few years, um, a few of us in the office have have really, um, you know, taken some significant continuing education with some of the leaders in the field. Richard Baxter wrote the book, uh, one of the books on uh, tongue ties. Uh, Saroosh Zaghi is a medical doctor ENT uh, with the Breathe Institute. And uh, so, you know, as with everything in our practice, we always want to use the best technology and techniques. So we do use the light scalpel carbon dioxide laser, which is, in my opinion, the best in the industry. to release the tethered oral tissues on anything from an infant with a mom who's having trouble breastfeeding all the way up to some adults um, in our practice. Um, But as you know, we are some of the stubborn pediatric dental offices and uh, we'll we'll almost refuse to do the procedure if it's not coupled with myofunctional therapy. Um, And so I know we've had many conversations on the phone and I'll always tell a patient You would never go for knee knee surgery, shoulder surgery, elbow surgery without physical therapy before or after. I I might be diminishing 
the you know the what is happening at myofunctional therapy by saying that, but that's the analogy that patients can really uh, relate to. And so you know here we are having this tongue tethered for a long time in the child's mouth. You know they're not going to know what to do with it when I release, so they need to be prepared to do those exercises and get that tongue to its fullest potential. I mean, the tongue is one of the strongest muscles in the body. So, you know, we need as much therapy as we can have before and after in order to provide the most optimal result. You know, and to add to that, uh, even though Dr. Adam is really more of the, uh, the tongue guy in the practice, uh, clearly I, I do a lot of these evaluations as well. You know, our, our challenge to tie it into one of your questions before was, you know, what's the parent's response? We do this because one of our challenges, quite frankly, is with some pediatricians. The pediatricians, they, they will classically say, um, only if the tongue tie is to the very tip is it something that's, you know, a worry if the child's not, you know, eating properly or speaking. And we do realize that that is not probably the right way or to approach it because you can have one of those mid or posterior tongue ties, which are a little more difficult to assess. And so when I see those, you know, those are the ones I say to the parent, I ask them a few questions and what can they eat and swallow and, and breathing? We're looking at the sculpture of the palate. And then I say, you know, best that we have you guys evaluate these patients to really see if this is one of those more difficult tongue ties to evaluate. And if so, start with your treatment. And then if you guys feel it's appropriate, we'll release it for you. Yeah, the other, the other quick thing I'd like to add is, you know, sometimes we run into confusion or difficulty. Uh, not every speech language <clears throat> pathologist um, is trained in myofunctional therapy. So sometimes we'll uh, bring something up to mom or dad about the child in the chair and we'll say, you know, I think that this is worthwhile of an evaluation for a possible release of the tethered oral tissue. And they'll say, well, I asked their speech pathologist that they go to outside of school or in school. And they, they said, well, we're not really sure. And, you know, the same way that there's different specialties in dentistry, right? I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of placing a dental implant because I'm not a general dentist, oral surgeon, or periodontist. Not every speech language pathologist is very well trained and educated on myofunctional therapy. So that takes, you know, a little bit of uh, education and understanding for the parent that, you know, here is this person that's helping their child in school or outside of school that they trust, and they're amazing. My wife happens to be one of those speech language pathologists who doesn't, you know, just myofunctional therapy is not something she's trained in. Um, and so, you know, we need to make sure that they're seeing you uh, in order to uh, really become educated and then make their own educated decision. It's like any other, you know, uh, uh, um, healthcare decision that they'll make. But that is a hurdle that we're working on educating patients about. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. One of the um, discrepancies that we do get when we are referring has to do with the labial frenum. At what point should a labial frenum be released? Um, some say or tell us that it's post-orthodontics. Others say pre-orthodontics. I feel like some, my, our heads are spinning sometimes, um, even in the lectures that we participate in, the same thing. So we'll, we'll make it really simple for you, okay? okay the ideal time to have that lip, lip released within a few days being born. Okay? Oh, okay. Ideally, but okay. not every child's going to do that. And so at that point, we start evaluating. The reality is the biggest problem usually is more cosmetic with the labial. Okay. Some, some moms will say latching on is the problem, which is why I would say when they're a newborn. But if there's no problems from that point forwards, we usually would do that, that labial release between six and eight years old. So we want to get rid of that tissue. And by the way, you have to make sure that you go down to the bone or the periosteum, which is where a lot of 
you know, doctors who treat this, they, they snip it or they, and it's, they didn't really get all the fibers out of the way. Okay. Because then between six and eight years old, as the front four incisors, the front four teeth, for those who are, are a little bit more um, on the layman side, we want them to naturally drift together. Now, the reason why there's some confusion is because probably to this day, most phrenectomies are still done by scalpel or scissor. We haven't done one like that in 17 years now. We've been using our lasers for that. And with lasers, there's no scar tissue. So when there's no scar tissue, it'll allow these teeth to drift together. If, however, using a scalpel or, or a scissor, um, you're going to create scar tissue. So what's the point of replacing this thick fibrotic muscle in between your teeth with a thick fibrotic piece of scar tissue? You would never do that. So old school orthodontics would say, let us bring the teeth together and then you can cut out whatever you want. And who cares if you create scar tissue at that point, the teeth are together. But if you use the laser, there's not going to be any scar tissue. Those teeth will be able to drift together. And I got to tell you, if that becomes the only thing that somebody needed for braces, often they will no longer need braces. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, and that's good to know. I feel like that, that message is not consistent across dental practices. Mm -hmm. um, is there any screening that a pediatrician or say you had mentioned doing it right after delivery or during infancy, is there any uh, tethered oral tissue screening that pediatricians are doing that you know of prior to those patients coming to see you guys uh, as the pediatric dentist or as the speech pathologist? So it's interesting as, as I'm sure you both know, in Brazil, this is yes. one of the only countries in the world where it's a requirement to be discharged from the hospital. It is not like that uh, in the United States of America. And, uh, you know, we work with many pediatricians in the area and, uh, you know, some do a great job of screening for it, particularly if mom uh, is reporting a difficult time uh, latching uh, to breastfeed. Um, but other than that, there is no standard that we're seeing uh, although I would love, as I'm sure you would, uh, for the push in the United States of America, as we, you know, are on the forefront of healthcare uh, on almost, you know, everything, uh, it would be nice to, um, you know, put our name next to Brazil on that. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, uh, the un I guess fortunate or unfortunate thing about living in a very developed country is that we have ways of getting around tethered tissues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, you know, a thousand years ago, if you couldn't breastfeed, you wouldn't live. Failure to thrive, you would die. Right. It's, it's, I know that sounds harsh, but that's the reality of it, okay? And somewhere, someday ago, some very, very smart woman with a really sharp fingernail went, let me just pull up that and, and cut, right? And it's, yes. by today's standards, that's crazy. But, but yes. Yes. those children, somebody figured out, you know, if I could just get that tongue to work a little bit better, um, we'll be able to get you to breastfeed. You know, here, if you're having problem breastfeeding, um, you know, we'll give you a bottle, we'll give you this, we'll give you that, you know, and they'll figure out ways around it. And so you can have tethered tissues and not realize how detrimental those tethered tissues are to your growth and development. Yes, you're gaining weight, you're, you're developing, but you may not be developing along the exact trajectory that you were intended to. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And exactly. That's exactly what we're, we see that same as the same things as well. Um, even just the impact it has on the airway, um, the resting posture, what it's doing to the palate, all of those things are an ad have an adverse effect for us in terms of speech and especially as myofunctional therapists, which I'm sure you guys see a lot of that as well. Do you want me to do the next one? You want to get it? 
Um, so I know that we see a lot of patients who come to us with uh, thumb sucking, finger sucking, prolonged oral habits, and I'm sure you both have patients coming to you and seeing the same thing, whether it's their thumb sucking, finger sucking, on a pacifier still. So what is your role? Um, and you're often seeing these patients before us because maybe they don't have speech issues yet. So what do you say to parents when their child is coming in and you're being reported of or noticing the prolonged finger sucking? I'll say the passy is a four letter word in our practice. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, I, there was a study that had come out of maybe 15, 20 years ago that talked about pacifiers and perhaps uh, preventing SIDS. And, uh, and the theory was they're, they don't get into deep you know, stages of sleep and this way they're easily irritated and, and, and more uh, easily aroused. But breastfed babies also are, are more easily aroused and also much less likely to develop SIDS. And at the same time, they're developing very differently. The, you know, the compression of the tongue and some mother's nipple compared to a pacifier is incredibly different. Uh, the, the compression of a mother's nipple compared to a bottle nipple is incredibly different. So I, I urge moms, especially those who are in the practice who, you know, they're telling us, oh, you know, the, the, the older sisters in the chair, you know, tell Dr. Mark or tell Dr. Adam what's going to be happening, you know, in August. Oh, we're going to be having a baby. I'm going to say, you know, listen, I'm just going to tell you what the guidelines are and what the suggestions are. I'm not going to tell you how to parent your child. That's, that's up to you. But, but I, I would basically say if, if you can do your best to get rid of the pacifier or never start one, okay. you're better off. Okay. However, if you do want to subscribe to the, this may prevent SIDS model, the model still is after six months, you're supposed to get rid of the pacifier. But of course, at that point, both the children and us parents, because we're parents too, we're not just doctors, um, you know, we all become addicted to it and then it's really hard to get off. So I, I would say, um, don't start a habit that you know you can't get rid of, um, that's awful. As far as fingers and thumbs, that's a very different conversation because most moms can pull out their sonogram pictures and be like, look, you already got the thumb in there, you know? Yeah. And, um, that's a way more difficult habit to break. You know, we try to encourage them to keep pulling it out, pulling it out, pulling it out. Um, you know, uh, there are definitely old school thoughts. Uh, you know, there are some, you know, like hard fast, you know, like, we, we paint yucky stuff on their thumbs or Tabasco sauce. And, you know, so we're certainly not in favor of your child becoming injured. Um, I think most studies will say negative reinforcement isn't always the best, but it's also hard to say to a one-year-old, you know, hey, if you don't put your thumb in your mouth the next five minutes, you know, I'll let you watch, you know, 20 more minutes of, of Sesame Street. They, they, that part doesn't connect. Yes. But there are items that you could buy on the internet, uh, and, and I'm not going to endorse any one product, but that allow you to kind of block the thumb. Um, there are thumb guards there. You can even really just go old school. And we tell people you can even put a sock on your child's hand and, you know, a little bit of duct tape, not so much that you cut off circulation, but that it, that they really can't get their hands in their mouths. Um, you can do ace bandages on the elbow. I've even had patients who back in the day when rollerblading was very popular, they would put the rollerblade pads on their elbow, but they would turn them around to the hard parts on the inside. So it's hard for them to move. Yeah. You know, and, and truthfully, there's also a difference between daytime sucking and nighttime sucking. Daytime sucking, you have some control over. Yes. You can watch your child. You can, you can sit with them and, and you can say, Hey, listen, I know you want to suck your thumb. Okay. And, and, and here are the triggers. Every time we sit on the couch and you hold that blanket and Sesame street goes on and you start curling your hair and the thumb goes in, you know, I'm going to let you suck your thumb today, but not for the first five minutes. Let's put a little timer on the table. Let's get the five minutes. We get the five minutes. Go ahead, go for it. And then tomorrow we're going to work up to seven minutes and 10 minutes. And we're going to try introducing stimuli that makes you want to suck, but also reminds you that you're not supposed to and build up to that. 
but now you're into like child psychology stuff. And that yes. is very, <laughs> very difficult to, you know, my, my bachelor's degree in psychology only gets me so far. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the interesting thing um, is a lot of parents will say to us, you know, let's say they're coming to us at four or five years old for the first time because they just moved from out of state. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll say, we'll ask them on our questionnaire. And that's, again, one of the importances of coming early is we can educate the parent early. Um, but, uh, you know, they'll say, well, well, they only, they only used the pacifier until they were three years old. Well, we all on this call know that, you know, 55% of the facial development is done by the time we're two years of age, or we'll have a parent that says they only, you know, suck their thumb at night to fall asleep. Well, there's three factors in terms of how it affects the orofacial uh, musculature and structure, which is duration is one part of it, but intensity and frequency is the other two parts of it. So if seven nights a week, they're doing this and they're a really intense sucker, it might be worse than passively keeping the mouth in for three hours during the day, you know, uh, instead of just, just to fall asleep at night. So um, it's, again, it all comes down to education and, you know, helping the parent with some strategies and um, it's like anything else, right? In order for myofunctional therapy to work, the parent has to be on board. They have to help with compliance. It's the same thing here. So it's more educating the parent than working with the child um, because it, it needs to be a team approach here. Right, absolutely. We have a lot of parents that will tell us, I'm not ready for them to stop sucking. So then if they tell us that, we know we're, we're done. We have to wait until the parent is on board to help the child stop. Um, it can't, we can't do it in a vacuum with just the child if the parent's not ready to support that, you know, the habit being broken, mm -hmm. um, which we do find that a lot. And I think that the same thing, the more, the quicker we can get that finger thumb out of the mouth, the better off the patient will be long-term um, when it comes to just the overall shape and, and uh, of the, the mouth as well as the teeth and the overall occlusion. Um, so obviously you guys have been amazing and refer a ton of patients to us for myofunctional therapy. What are some of the things that you see um, when your patients are going for myofunctional therapy and the impact that it has on some of the work that you may need to be doing or are doing with their, with regards to their occlusion? Well, I'll give you a great example. Our orthodontists, we've been preaching to them about myofunctional therapy for quite some time. And just the other day, my orthodontist says, you know, I had a child whose front teeth flared and every time we took the braces off, they, they pop back out and put them back on. And then there was this fight of who's wearing the retainers and not. And I've heard you guys preach now for a few years about the beauties of myofunctional therapy. So we started <laughs> myofunctional therapy and the girl came back and her teeth are no longer flaring forwards. Oh, that's it's great. Yes, right? okay. Muscle trumps phone. And, and yep. so the, if you don't correct the tongue, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, prevent the occlusion from flaring out. Um, I mean, that's the easiest thing to pick out. Okay. The, the harder things to pick out are what is it really doing for airway? What is it doing for the roof of your mouth? what are the complications associated with airway? And so when, you know, again, to tie in some of your other questions, when should you start? You know, what are some of the things we're seeing? You know, we, we often, uh, Dr. Ab and I will ask, you know, are there any medical complications associated with the way your face is growing? And so, you know, when that mom, you just said, um, well, I'm not ready to give up the pacifier just yet. You would say, that's okay. You know, at what age would you like to have your first ENT surgery? And they're like, what? Ooh, well, you know, yeah. because you're way more likely to have tonsils, adenoidectomy, sinus surgeries, tubes in your ears. Those are all ENT surgeries. Yep. Um, at what age would you like to have your first surgery? 
at what at what point do you want to have your child being pulled out of school because maybe they're falling behind on the academic chart because they're not getting good night's sleep, their oxygen levels are dropping in the middle of the night. At what age would you like your child to stop wetting the bed? At what age uh, would you like to correct the ADD or ADHD-like habits? Um, you know, and 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 what, I mean, right now I'm driving to work, and, and what do I see all over my car? It's covered in green pollen. Yeah. So if you're a mouth breather, all that pollen's going straight into your lungs. Would you rather, you know, be filtered through your nose and 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 humidified and and go down and properly as opposed to you know breathing in all this junk or irritants? I mean, you know, I don't know how long this 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 video will be on you know YouTube, but hopefully forever. But at some point it's going to look back, and they'll probably say even like you know. Did you guys film this during the pandemic? And as Dr. Adams wearing a mask and I'm not, I mean, you know, yes. Yes. And, and so there's a lot of research coming in now that suggests that you were probably less likely to develop COVID if you were a nasal breather than a mouth breather. And so, you know, the the, the ability to breathe through your nose versus your mouth is, is really important. Um, from a cosmetic standpoint, having high cheekbones and a chiseled up lower jaw is really what we find attractive. Uh, because the body has a subconscious thought process of that's the type of person I'd like to procreate with. They're going to be healthier offspring. Um, if you go off to the mall and, and you look at, you know, photos and pictures that are of the models, they all have similar looks. If you look at world-class athletes, for the most part, they have high cheekbones and lower jaw uh, and lower chiseled jaws because they, they breathe better, which their bodies mean they, they act more efficiently and properly. So, I mean, I, I've probably gone off on a significant tangent. I don't even remember your original question, but, but <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> you know you, oh, I think you asked like, you know, what do we see that's better? Yes. That's what, so there's no question when we start doing treatment, whether it's orthodontics or airway or, or truthfully, even cavities. Okay. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of evidence out there that shows if you're a mouth breather, you're way more likely to develop cavities. You'll have a drier mouth. Um, the, the bacterial flourish differently. We, we see drastic improvements in all these things because let's face it the body is one unit and you know and it's you know you affect one part of the body it's going to have an effect elsewhere and and everybody wants to have a perfectly functioning body you know good luck i mean you know as i'm sitting here i got my legs crossed and i'm supposed to have my my posture straight i was thinking the same thing yeah and and, but, but that's really the goal and so, um, you know, it was probably about 10 years ago when, when I got diagnosed with celiac that I had a paradigm shift in my brain that I needed to look more into functional healthcare. And I don't poo-poo Western medicine at all. I mean, God knows uh, uh, we're right there with many doctors working on plenty of things with my own patients or in my own family. But there is absolutely has to be room for Eastern medicine as well. And, and so sometimes parents hear some of this stuff and they go, well, that's just crazy. You just told me that you know, you can prevent my child from having, you know, ENT surgery, or you can fix their ADHD. And maybe we can, okay. And that maybe it may be myofunctional therapy. It, it might be sleep and breathing. It might be chiropractic. It might be acupuncture. It might be cranial sacral. There are so many modalities out there that will lend to getting you better and, and making you feel healthier. And at the end, really, if you don't have your health, what do you have? True. I mean, ask Steve Jobs how much money he had. Did it make a difference with his pancreatic cancer? No. It didn't. No. And, and now I'm not saying that myofunctional therapy and breathing is going to save you from pancreatic cancer. But my point is, if you don't have good health, you have nothing. Yes. Yeah. So true. Mm-hmm. So true. Absolutely. Um, so we know your practice is very myo-minded. Um, do you find that at this point, most pediatric dentist offices are well-informed regarding myofunctional therapy? Or are you not seeing that universal at this point? 
I think there's more awareness, but I think we have a long way to go. I think we're at the beginning stages. Um, you know, our practice is really almost always on the forefront of technology and procedures. So I know if, you know, we're in our, you know, infancy stages of it, you know, four or five years of really understanding this and, and really getting uh, much better at it and identifying uh, that, you know, the rest of the country is probably a little bit further behind, but there's definitely more awareness because we're seeing, you know, more courses given um, and, uh, you know, more, more chats about it on Facebook groups and all that kind of good stuff. So um, I, I definitely think we're, 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 we're on the precipice of something, uh, of some, something really good. Mm-hmm. We can definitely yeah. see that mm-hmm. it's de- the understanding and the, the chatter about it has definitely increased significantly over the last few years as compared to when I started doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, we, there was almost like the, the hex on me, you know, who, what type of therapy are you doing and why are you doing that? Um, we definitely see that there's more research coming out as well, um, especially in the United States, not just coming out of Brazil, um, which I think is also helping for people to have a better understanding and maybe be able to commit to the, the, the uh, theory or the mindset of working with a myofunctional therapist to mm-hmm. make a difference. Um, one of the things we see a lot are children that clench or grind their teeth. Is there anything that you would recommend or anything that you do when you are seeing that with some of your pediatric patients? Well, I think they absolutely have to have an airway assessment. Okay. Most people Nah, I'm not mess up. Let's say many people who clench and grind, certainly at younger ages, it is the body's way of trying to force their mouth open. And so it's predominantly happening at night and the muscles are trying to fire and you're clenching, you're trying to do this to, to open up your mouth. It doesn't mean that's the case with everybody. Okay. There's also some children who just, they're feeling some growth happening underneath the bone. And it's kind of like almost like a subconscious itch where they're scratching some of those teeth below the surface. Okay. So okay. not, I don't want everybody who hears this, this is, Oh my God, my child's clenching and grinding. They potentially have a dangerous situation going on, but it's certainly worth looking into. So I, I think it's worthy of an assessment. And even if they don't go through a very formal assessment, there's many things that we could start looking at, you know, do they have those bags under their eyes, what we call venous pooling? What's the shape of their palate? Um, there's something called Malin Patty scores, which you guys know, but for the general public, it's essentially when somebody just sticks out their tongue, how far can we see down their throats? And, and these are all signs of inflammation in the back of the throat. So these are very simple and easy things to look for. But I, I think that when you look at the amount of people who do have some sort of tongue related, sleep related, you know, uh, breathing related problem, the percentages are exceptionally high especially given the fact because the percentage of people who have used artificial devices, whether it be pacifiers or bottles, are going to be more likely to head down that path. So if you have a child who has had finger, thumb, pacifier, and has been predominantly bottle fed, and now you're seeing clenching and grinding problems happening, more likely than not, they should be assessed. Okay. Do you find that the airway assessment, you had mentioned that you guys will do an airway assessment. Do you find that that is happening with all pediatric dentists? Is that a standard of care? Oh God, no. It's definitely not a standard of care, no. Okay. No, I mean, the company that we trained with back in 2019, um, we were the only pediatric dentist on the entire East Coast that had trained with them. Now they have a few more since then. Okay. Uh, and, and they're not the only company. So it's not to say we're the only pediatric dentist on the East Coast who, who, who knew anything about airway. But um, no, I, I think that there are plenty of people who are not seeing that, don't know anything about it. 
But the American Dental Association, which is really supersedes the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, you know, they've put out bulletins and newsletters talking about the importance of this. And there are many things that we see in the oral cavity that may show up even before uh, the medical professional might notice it. Okay. So it's our role as healthcare professionals to look for certain things that could trigger a diagnosis of something else. In this case, we're talking about airway, but maybe somebody who's got bleeding gum, maybe there's a, an eruption pattern problem. There, there are things that we would look for that might indicate you know, an, an endocrine issue or, or go off a bit of leukemia, or we check the neck for lumps and bumps. And so you know, we're supposed to be looking at these things. And so I think the dentists who went to say better dental schools were trained uh, with medicine uh, I know I went, I took almost every class my first two years with the medical department. So we, we get trained in a lot of that stuff. I think Dr. Adams and his school did the same thing as well. So, but I, I, I think airway, we will look back on these conversations in a generation and all of our grandkids will be assessed really early on because the medical professionals will have realized we're, we're heading towards more integrated work rather than separated we are heading to the point of where, you know, the, there'll be a, a medical record that health care professionals will have access to to see what everybody's looking at and treating and coordinating their, their care together. It's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully it'll, it'll come in my career, but it's coming. And, and so, um, and that'll be the, for the better of everybody. I'm glad you brought that up. Do you feel it's often difficult with that interdisciplinary approach? Often we'll identify issues, but then we refer to say the ENT or the parent speaks to the pediatrician and and kind of poo-poos our concerns or what we are seeing. Do you find that, that you identify say something that would be affecting the airway, um, maybe make the recommendation to the ENT and the ENT is not in agreement? It's funny. I haven't found that problem with ENTs as much. Uh, you would think most ENTs are, are like, you know, cut hungry and want to just tank tonsils and adenoids out. Yes. And I, and I, and I don't think that's really true. Uh, no. I find most ENTs are, if you can figure out a way to fix this without having to do surgical intervention, they'd prefer it. Now, their first line of defense was always medical side, right? Um, nasal steroids, et cetera. Yep. You know, I just had my son in who is a patient of yours Yeah, and he did myofunctional for many years. And then I put him in airway uh, appliances as well. And he was in the other day and I brought in his CAT scans a year apart and um, his adenoids are completely resolved. And he was like, what did you guys do? And no, I gave him a little uh, idea what's happening. And so I think ENTs are not the problem. Okay. Now, who are the problem? That's hard to say, and I don't want to get in trouble with anything. <laughs> exactly. We don't want this right. to be servicing right. for a while. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to bite the hands that feed us, right? But um, I, I think there just needs to be more education in general to other healthcare practitioners, even within the dental community, okay? Um, you know, the orthodontist had a, 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 another lecture series about two years ago, and, and the consensus that came out of it was orthodontists are not creating OSA. OSA, for those who don't know, right? Obstructive sleep apnea. And, uh, and we know obstructive sleep apnea is like the end. It's like the all the way to the right of this is as bad as it gets on sleep apnea. But you can still have you know, sleep distorted breathing and not necessarily have obstructive sleep apnea. And, and I, I think the orthodontists don't want to hear the story that the headgear or the removal of permanent teeth may have contributed to the person's sleep problems. And they're swallowing problems. And we talk about, you know, your teeth are like a cage. And so we can make that cage beautifully straight. But if we make that, sh- that cage too small, 
where does that tongue live? And then you guys come in and I'm a perfect case, right? I had braces and I was a patient of yours as well. And you guys kept going, get the tongue up there. Like, and you kept sticking things like, like get the side of my tongue up into the roof. And I'm like, it just doesn't fit. Cause guess what? <laughs> the, the age was too small. We, we, we actually ended up developing a six foot tiger in a three foot cage. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, and we don't treat anybody like that. I mean, we, we joke about it. And Dr. Adam and I have a, a video series that I think we sent you guys and you watch. And we, we give the classic example of, you know, a woman who's wearing sandals and her pinky toe is hanging off the edge of her shoe. So, <laughs> What, what most people would do is they would get bigger shoes, okay? But but for the last, you know, 75 years in orthodontics, they would say, just cut off the pinky toe and we'll get all the teeth to fit in your shoe. Yeah. And, and we're like, no, 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 don't cut off your pinky toe. In this <laughs> case, don't pull those permanent teeth. Let's get your face to be bigger and, and then you'll be able to breathe better and your tongue will have some place to go. Now, you guys can talk about tongues that are not as strong and they're a little more flaccid and they just might be flopping around in there and we can make them stronger and teach them the right places to go. That's really also incredibly important. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's the gist of it. I think. Yeah. No, I yes. think we definitely agree. Space is key. Yeah. Space is on key. On our end, on your end. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, how about patients who have excessive gag reflexes? I know that's a, a concern of a lot of our parents of not going to the dentist because they'll never tolerate it. They're so intraorally defensive. They gag so easily. So how do you approach patients like that? We just send them to you and have you guys. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of things uh, that we can do when the gag reflex becomes a little bit of an issue is, you know, traditionally uh, children get nervous when we're taking x-rays because it's a little bit of a, you know, uh, a bigger film that goes in the mouth. Um, you know, as pediatric dentists, obviously we have certain tools and supplies that are kid friendly and child friendly, which is one difference of going to a pediatric dentist versus an adult dentist. Um, but also, uh, you know, there's different modalities. First of all, I mean, when it comes to uh, a filling, sometimes we use laughing gas, nitrous oxide, and that reduces the gag reflex. Um, we have little tips and tricks. We also have uh, something in our office is called a, a PBM laser. And sometimes if we just put it on a certain uh, pressure spot, it can reduce the gag reflex a little bit, which is very minimally invasive. Um, but we, we always try to, you know, make a child comfortable and work around it. And, uh, usually we can with the, the different, you know, tools, tips, and tricks, a little bit of distraction goes a long way as well. You know, we'll have a kid pick their feet up and take a big smell in through their nose when they're taking an x-ray, things like that. Yeah. And should like to add to what Dr. Adam was saying, there are some patients who do have an extensive gag reflex, which almost always means they have a high acid content in their mouth and, so myofunctional therapy would certainly be very helpful there, okay? But for those patients who have a severe gag reflex and their teeth are really, really broken down, you know, we've had patients where we've had to use our anesthesiologist and, uh, and they're put to sleep under general anesthesia and all of their teeth are corrected. I, I wouldn't recommend that just for routine cleaning, mm -hmm. but for patients who really have, you know, say five to 10 cavities uh, that are pretty significant, root canals, caps, et cetera, I mean, that's certainly a way to kind of hit the reset button and then we, you know, we talk about different types of toothpaste, toothbrushes, et cetera. But um, listen, that's why, you know, there's tile in the bathroom. Cause if you, you're brushing and you start getting a gag reflux, uh, you're not on carpet. Right? Like, you <laughs> easy to wipe through. it up. Easy to wipe right, it exactly. up. Exactly. You know, you gotta get through it. No uh, carpet. No carpet. <laughs> right. uh, how about flossing? 
do you, is there an age that you recommend flossing and is there any benefit to flossing versus using a water pick or um, something more mechanical to address those issues? Well, uh, good habits can never start too early. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so, um, flossing from purely a dental perspective uh, is going to prevent you from getting cavities in between your teeth and it's going to make your gums healthier. And for the child who has a lot of space between their teeth, some of those areas will be self-cleansing. And for the child, usually when they're around four, the molars will start touching side by side and then you really have to clean in there. As Dr. Adams spoke about a little bit earlier, there's that carriage risk assessment. You know, Some people just really aren't high risk and they might say, I don't have to floss, but I would suggest, again, the sooner you floss, the better. And we find that families that floss are families that floss. It's mm -hmm. not gonna be, I can't Got get it. my child to floss. And I'll say yeah. to the parents, well, do you guys floss? And like, <laughs> uh, so, and then listen, on the other side, there's a lot of research that's come out over the last 20 years that talk about flossing and the benefits of cardiovascular disease. So, um, you know, we've been studying for years, you know, wh why do we think people have heart attacks? And, and we looked at cholesterol and the different types of cholesterol. And then we look at inflammation scores inside of your arteries. And a lot of the research has shown that the, the inflammation that's really caused within your cardiovascular disease can be traced back to periodontal bacteria. So if you can eliminate periodontal disease, you very well may be eliminating cardiovascular disease in the majority of people. So I asked you before, when I say to a parent, you know, at, you know, at what age would you like your child to have their first ENT surgery? I would ask the general public, at what age would you like to have your first heart attack? Right. And most people would yeah. say at no age. Right. So <laughs> you probably should start flossing more regularly. Mm -hmm. okay. What I always tell the older kids is, you know, there's, there's a front of your tooth that's like the belly. There's the back of your tooth that's like the back. There's the top of your tooth that's like your head. And then there's the left and right of the tooth. And not flossing is like going to the shower or bath every day and never washing the left or right side of your body, which is disgusting. Yes. So it's the same way you have, it's the way we clean the left and right side of the tooth. That's so the only thing we can do. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little, that was a, a, he was giving you an under, uh, under the table uh, cue there. I put on cologne for the meeting, but I, I thought we were going to be in person. You know? <laughs> well, I'm blonde and you smell good. That's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us today. I think your answers and just the answers to these questions are going to be extremely helpful to the masses, but definitely to us and to our patients. So thank you so much. And we enjoy working with both of you so much so thank you and uh and i hope we can continue to support each other yes thank you guys very Thanks much i hope i was able to give you some insight and answer some of your questions regarding myofunctional therapy please stay tuned and listen to our myo minute and tune in to our talk the talk interviews with the many different medical dental and rehab professionals as they elaborate or answer your questions and address your concerns directly especially when it's related to speech language pathology and myofunctional therapy